I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is James Milley, and I am the managing partner and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing art. Uh, we are here today with Indira Cesarine. Indira is a Mexican-American multidisciplinary artist who works with photography, video, painting, printmaking, and sculpture. Her work as an artist has been featured internationally at many art galleries, museums, and art fairs, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and many more. She is also the founder of the Untitled Space Art Gallery, editor-in-chief and publisher of the Untitled magazine, as well as founder of Art for Equality and Untitled Productions. Welcome to the show, Indira. Thank you, James. Nice to hear from you. Yes, it's great to hear your voice as well. Before we get started, Indira, uh, I want to ask something uh, to help our audience get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And did you realize then that you'd be dedicating your life to art? Honestly, I recall as a child always being very aware of it, but I think it was second or third grade. We had a visiting art historian come and speak at our school about art history and artists. And she spoke, you know, spoke about a variety of artists from impressionists to, you know, Picasso and Cubism and like all the sort of large art movements that have sort of formed contemporary art today over the, you know, whatever kind of last hundred years or so. She did like an overview of like some of the most influential artists, right? And I just remember being blown away by her presentation and like really sort of knew from that point on that I wanted to study art and understand it more. And I started sort of looking into art classes. And at that time, I was living in Des Moines, Iowa. So it's definitely like art isn't the most typical career choice that you would make living in Iowa, put it that way. <laughs> in the end, I chose to go to boarding school so I could focus on my interest in art because I couldn't really find that support where I lived. And my parents were very supportive. So well off. I mean, I kind of had an early start I think I think most people who work in the creative and art industries know from a really young age that that's their path and they may have to take you know special sort of routes to get there I I think that's a wonderful story and I think it's interesting because when I ask this question to guests on the show there's sort of kind of two paths that it usually takes one is early on in school the person was introduced to some type of art project, like something where they're painting with their fingers or, or, you know, using crayons for the first time. But I love that for you, the most significant introduction to art was actually learning about other uh, influential artists from the last hundred years. Uh, I think it says a lot, actually, when you look at your art um, about where your inspiration stems from. It's it's not just the practice of making art, but it's it's also about this larger conversation. And there's a historical 
perspective to it as well. So I think that's uh, really wonderful. Thank you for that story. <laughs> you know, I've never really thought about it like that, but you're right. I mean, I am definitely very inspired by history and, you know, in a variety of ways with my work. So it definitely put two and two together there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And some of the other questions that I'll be asking you later on are going to touch on that as well. So let's actually dive into those questions right now. Your artist statement is incredibly powerful. You work with feminist themes and concern yourself with women's history at large, like we were just talking about. So how do you use your art as activism and how have you witnessed its impact from your work? The idea that uh, you can sort of necessarily calculate the impact is a difficult one, perhaps, because it's really hard to say how my work impacts other people. But I do know that I definitely am drawn to activist themes. And part of that motivation is to try to create work that can be a catalyst for change. I've always been inspired by women's history. And whether it's in my writing or with my visual artwork or my curatorials, I'm very drawn towards these historical narratives and shedding light on, for example, history that's been overlooked. And as we all know, a lot of women's history has definitely been overlooked and a lot of women have not been credited for a lot of the incredible sort of work that they've done historically and or haven't really been highlighted. You know, it's only now that we're seeing a lot of female artists that have been that were working even over 100 years ago, you know, be emphasized and or, you know, female politicians, etc. that were sort of ahead of their time. So I'm really inspired by all of these people and try to find ways to bring these stories to contemporary audiences in a way that can be engaging, that can make them relate to these people that can in some way create like a spark. I often work in mediums like neon, for example, that's very contemporary. And at the end of the day, not always the obvious medium for portraiture, but I do think that it really lends itself to also inspiring like people across the board, many ages, particularly young people. And when you create like, a, for example, a portrait of a historical person that if you looked at one of their old black and white pictures, for example, on Wikipedia, you might not be inspired. But when you see that a portrait of that person in neon, you want to know who is that person, you know, like, tell me more. And it definitely does open a really interesting dialogue. So I have this whole, for example, series of activist portraits in neon, um, inspired by inspirational women that range from Harriet Tubman to Victoria Woodhull. My Victoria Woodhull neon is actually currently on view in Brooklyn at Urban Glass. Uh, there, they have a art center on their site at their facility. So that's on view, I think, until sometime in March. In any case, the uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Victoria Woodhull, but she ran for president of the United States in 1872. And very few people know of her or her story. And the fact that she ran for president 50 years before women even had the right to vote. She's the sort of person I find, wow, like I want to create art about this person. I get inspired by these individuals, these historic individuals. And 
a lot of my work is really finding these incredible stories of women who have been extremely influential and have been sort of shuffled under the carpet or really haven't been paid their dues. Many times these women are like ahead of their time as well. And as a result, we're not really understood in the era that they lived. I guess I, you know, try to bring together all of these different components. Um, My work also sort of drives in different directions. For example, I have a whole consent series of sculptures as well as sculptures in text that address double standards and stereotypes. I definitely am constantly trying to think of how can I push forward my narrative, whether it's through visuals, whether it's through different mediums, whether it's combining sculpture and photography, however I have to do that in order to get the message across. And as a result, I often work in a lot of different mediums in order to do that. And I like to present even installation style exhibitions where I have everything from painting, sculpture, photography, all put together to create an environment where you literally walk in and are immersed in that space and are confronted with a lot of different mediums of work. I don't like to limit myself to sharing my vision to just one medium. And I I love that challenge too, of like mastering different mediums and constantly pushing myself with trying new things. (laughs) That's a really great challenge to take on, not limiting yourself to just one form of media. It's not that it isn't important, but it's almost in the background to really what the work is about. So it's however you can communicate your work, you're going to explore different media in doing that. I did not know that there was a woman who ran for president 50 years before women were even able to vote. That is incredible. And I think it really encapsulates what your work is all about. History does impact today. It's not just something that happened in the past. So rather than just focusing on extremely contemporary topics, actually talking about history, it's a way to to be making a change for now, even though it already happened decades or centuries ago. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'm inspired by contemporary current events, but You know, I did a lot of work, for example, when Trump was elected, and it was directly relating to themes of resistance and politics. But at the end of the day, I'm always drawn back to these historical narratives and like taking inspiration from historical people who have influenced us across the board, whether it's literature or poetry or politics or um, all kinds of different you know, female activists, I, I find my inspiration by a lot of these different characters throughout history. I did a whole series on Sappho. I mean, she is one of the first poets in Greek mythology, like in the Greek history, right? So we're talking like many thousands of years ago that she, <laughs> I, you know, I love finding those sort of influential women and, and making the message contemporary to today. I think that's incredible. Actually, I'd like to take what you just said and actually take a look at one specific sentence that's in your artist statement and then maybe break it down a little more. But besides breaking it down, just talking about the impact that it has. So the sentence is, and this is coming from your voice, Indira, I draw from historical narratives in an effort to create empowering artwork that can have an impact on the viewer, be a catalyst for change, or provide insight into history, which may have been overlooked. To me, this 
creates a very clear understanding of what your work is all about. And everything that you were just talking about, I think is, is encapsulated really well in this sentence. So I guess taking this and talking a little bit about an artist creating their own artist statement, Mm -hmm. how has communicating this message of your art brought new opportunities to you? And what are some tips that you would give an artist listening in to shape their own artist statement? I mean, I personally find writing your artist statement can probably be one of the hardest things that you can do as an artist, like to find short, like sort of precise sentences that can encapsulate visual art is very difficult. One of the things that I did and which I highly recommend is to actually set up a little interview for yourself. And I sometimes even help other artists write their statements by interviewing them because I find that when you're forced to sort of speak about your work in a few sentences or are asked like in interview questions, you're often going to just throw things out there without thinking about it intuitively. And if you record yourself, like, you know, create a couple questions for yourself about your work, you know, what inspires my work? How can, you know, basic, obvious things, right? And then literally record your answers and write them out and then try to sort of put that together. And I find that that is a great way to guide it, put it in a way where it's presented without. It's definitely difficult because you have to be a tough editor. I think the best artist statements are precise and um, they're not too long. And I think it's really important to always open with who are you? What is like the most important driving thing about your work? What's the most important theme in your work, right? And then talk a little bit about the mediums you work in and then talk about your inspirations and why you want to be an artist, right? And I think if you can cover the who, what, when, where, whys of your work, you can answer those in your artist statement, then you've got it. Exactly. And, you know, I I think that that's actually a really fun strategy to go actually record yourself interviewing yourself. You could have a lot of fun with that. But yeah, you heard us before. I mean, we could talk for hours about your work, but then taking everything that we talked about and condensing it into one sentence, that's actually a lot harder than people realize. It's, It's harder to say one sentence about your work than to talk about it for an hour because you know, when you're creating your work, it's a summary of your own experiences, your own inspirations and as you're living life. So to take all of that into a very brief condensed paragraph or a couple of paragraphs can be very difficult. So I think that that's a really great strategy is just removing yourself from it, kind of taking away that bias, stripping away the tension around it maybe, and just having fun with it. I think that you'll get a more authentic response from yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think it's really important to also have some good quotes about your work. Like I I think it's a great way to just have a few taglines of like, if you had to describe yourself in a few sentences and being an artist, you have to be willing to promote your work. You have to be willing to have a few catchphrases that can quickly describe it. And aside from your artist statement, I do find that exercise of interviewing yourself about your work and why you're doing it and what inspires it definitely allows for you to speak about it better because, you know, as an artist, you're basically a brand. You have to be willing to promote what you're about and the inspirations that sort of encompass you as a brand, which is your work as an artist. 
I love that concept of having some catchphrases for your work. I always say that with an artist statement, you should have like a, a short, medium, and a long version. That way, if you know you're in a conversation where you're meeting someone new, and you know the person asks you to tell them something about your work, you can tell them in one or two sentences, kind of you know the elevator pitch, so to speak, for your work. But then having a longer version or two, so that you know if it's an online interview, or if it's on your website, something like that, where people want to be reading more, you have that as well. I actually have sat down and written artist statements for each series of work that I create. I try to, you know, have a statement because I often get asked, you know, just regarding like different series that I've done. And I find that it is really useful as far as promoting the work to collectors or like you said, to press for interviews, you you really want to know why you're doing it and what your inspiration is and be able to write about that. I think it's really important to be constantly pushing yourself to, you know, not just make the work as a visual artist, but actually be able to talk about it. Yeah, I also agree. I think it's a really great plan to have multiple artist statements if you are multidisciplinary as you are, Indira. That actually does lead in perfectly for my next question. So Indira, you have always kept quite busy. You wear many hats as an artist and you also have these other kind of outside artistic endeavors besides just making art. So how do you find the balance between it all? Balance is something we love talking about on the podcast. You curate your gallery at the Untitled Space. You work on your own art. You have the Untitled Magazine. There's so many things that you do. How do you find the balance in it all? You know, that can often be a challenge. I find I never have enough time to spend on my artwork as I would like. Because like all artists, I want to spend all my time on my artwork. But, you know, I do really enjoy curating. And I also really enjoy everything that the magazine has to offer. So and working on that. So I find that in general, I try to you know, I treat the magazine and the gallery, so to speak, as my day job almost. Like every day I, you know, come in, I have an eight hour day working on the business side of things, whether it's the magazine, the gallery, or the business of like my work as an artist, gallery requests, artist statements, dealing with priceless or collector requests or, you know, packing and shipping the work like that can be really time consuming. This certain amount of like my eight hour day that I put in every day, Monday through Friday, literally just to run it as business. And that includes also allocating time to the gallery and magazine. And then my evenings and weekends, I spend making art. So I try to kind of separate it out so that I have Every weekend I go to the sculpture studio, usually um, sometimes both Saturday and Sunday, but usually at least one day. And I'll do like a six to eight hour day actually making sculpture. A lot of the other mediums, you know, I can like my photography stuff. It's a lot of pre and post production and the shoots are few and far between. So a lot of that I can actually just do from my office. It is a lot of work, though, to try to balance it. And I do find that, you know, I will try to allocate a certain amount of time each day on like, okay, so this is what I need to prioritize. It's really important to prioritize the practice of making art in your studio time as well. So I, particularly if I have like an exhibit coming up, I will definitely say, okay, I'm just taking this whole week off to make art. And, you know, I work very well with deadlines. So 
it's just a matter of, you know, trying to prioritize what needs to get done. And I do find, you know, for example, with the gallery, I space out the exhibit so that I have enough time to work on my other stuff in between. And once you have a show up, you really have a, you know, a gap of like a month before the next one, right? So you have time in between while your current show is up to work on other things. That is one of the things that being a curator, once the exhibit's up, it's up. Exactly. <laughs> in between to do other stuff. It, it definitely helps that I have my own gallery space versus constantly having to propose exhibits elsewhere. Because I think if you were a curator and you were constantly looking for spaces to exhibit your work, that would be, and to curate shows, that would be far more work. Doing the proposals can take that in itself can be a full-time job, just handling proposals. So I'm happy I don't have to do that side of things, except for my work, you know, as an artist, I do have to do proposals. But it is a constant challenge of managing stuff, for sure. <laughs> Again, like I said, it is really a matter of just prioritizing and, and like you said, finding balance, creating, your, moving your schedule around so that it works for you. Yeah, and I think that you brought up some really valuable points there. For one, I'd like to, again, reiterate that your magazine and your gallery, you treat them as your day job. There's nothing wrong with having a day job outside of your art, especially if you are still growing your art career, you know, being able to take that pressure off where you don't have to suddenly be making a full year's income to be supporting your life on your art. Having a day job, so to speak, or a literal day job is good for that. But if you can make your job besides creating art, something that is connected to your creating art, you can almost be killing two birds with one stone in a way. If it's connected to your art, I mean, you're going to be in either inspiring yourself or you're going to be assisting yourself with what it is that you're doing. And, you know, even if not every artist out there wants to also start a gallery or a magazine, maybe you want to create a collective with some other artist friends that you have. And that way you can share a studio space that there's a bit more expectation on your part that, you know, you're going to have an exhibition every month or something like that, that's going to help your art practice. Absolutely. The gallery is a support to my work. It's a support to my whole production. I see it as a business. I launched a gallery, not just to like promote and have a platform to present my work, but I love the idea of also being able to support other female artists and their practices. And there were very few outlets. When I launched on Title Space, there were very few galleries that focused on feminist art and female artists. Like, in fact, they almost didn't exist except for nonprofit galleries where you actually have to pay to exhibit, you know? So, you know, I wanted to actually create a environment for other female artists that do work um, along a similar interest as mine to be able to, you know, have a home, so to speak. That's definitely been an amazing process because I feel like it's evolved as things have evolved historically, like over the past five, six years, it's become a much more important direction. I remember when I first launched Untitled Space, Artsy did not even have any sort of category for feminist art or uh, lead artwork. And it's just so interesting. I, I actually had to suggest to them, like, maybe you should add a category for feminist art on your website, you know, because it didn't even, there was no, there was no outlet at all in the art market for feminist artists to even like have their own category. It's really interesting. See how that's become more of a thing, you know? 
And it, it very much is a category. And I think on the flip side of it, it's very much a category that, you know, buyers and collectors look for. So it by all means should have a category. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And then, you know, I think that it's it's pretty easy for an artist to kind of get behind the idea of supporting other artists. I mean, even if you don't have a history of doing that, I think most artists, you know, they don't feel this sense of guilt or pressure uh, on doing that for others. And then besides that, you should still make time for making your own art. Like, like you said, getting in the studio. I think the challenge is that it's fun. We all enjoy it. Like you said, artists pretty much always want to spend all of their time making art, but you should still, you should absolutely make that time to make your art. You shouldn't feel guilty about it at all. Oh, yeah. There should be no guilt. And I mean, I see making art as an artist. That is your job, right? That is your, should be your main goal. I definitely think a lot of artists that feel challenged and coming back to what you said earlier about the idea of having like a another job or side gig or another day job. I would say honestly, like 90% of artists I know are not full time artists making all their living just on selling their work. That the percent of artists that are even artists represented by galleries, by the way, who are doing this full time and have no other income is very, very rare particularly with how expensive it is to do things. And I personally know quite a few artists, for example, that are illustrators on the side and will take, you know, jobs for as illustrators for brands or whatever to supplement their income. So they're still doing their art, just like, you know, I am curating to supplement my income and because I love it. If you can find a creative outlet, where it's similar to what you do, but it's an income earner, like a photographer who is a fine art photographer who can do the occasional commercial job, you know, that is a great way to sort of balance having your main income as an artist, as well as, you know, your day job, paying the bills in a similar creative realm. You know, I think that's really important though, to find that. I think artists who want to be artists, but then are like working at Starbucks, really are pulling their hair out. Like miserable. I definitely recommend trying to find a way where you can be doing something creative if you do need to have that second job, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, if, if you're going to be spending eight hours a day on some other job besides your art, you might as well make it something that's going to support your art in one way or another, either keeping your skills sharp, like, you know, taking on some uh, commercial jobs as a photographer or something that like does help you create your own path with your art. Again, like having a gallery space or, you know, curating yourself, you know, those are things that they're tangential, but they do help with your, your own art practice as well. Yeah. And I definitely even curating from an interesting standpoint, you part of being an artist is really your network of people that you know, right? And when you're curating, it takes you into a different sort of category of meeting other curators, of meeting gallery owners, of meeting art fair owners, of meeting all kinds of interesting people that you probably wouldn't meet if you were just an artist. So I do think that there is an element of constantly trying to expand your network because you know one of they have like researched some of the most successful artists historically have been artists who have you know a great network of people that they know and that is often really how you make your mark is i hate to say it but who you know really matters in this industry 
Yes. And I, I think that does bring up one more point that I'd like to bring up. I mean, you have your, your art making practice, right? If you do put enough time, energy, and financial investment into your own art career, you can make the business side of your art the equivalent of your nine to five job. So you can be artist and, and like pure creativity in one factor of it. And then, you know, spend like this structured eight hours a day propelling your own art career. That is another option. You definitely have to be inspired. And I think curating or running a magazine or whatever, the things that I do are not for everyone. They're very specific to my own personal interests. <laughs> yes. And that does actually bring me to my second to last question. Uh, we've had this very natural thread between the questions here. So Indira, uh, can you tell us a little more about your magazine, which covers topics like art, fashion, film, and music? What are some of the benefits that you find with so much crossover between your artistic endeavors and what benefits can readers find from the magazine itself? You know, I launched Untitled Magazine back in 2009. For me, it was a really natural progression, having worked for 15 years as a full-time photographer to launch my own magazine, because I wanted to, you know, I got to that stage where I'd been working as a fashion and beauty and fine art photographer for many years, but I really you know, from a career standpoint, I kind of felt like I had already shot for tons of clients and magazines. And I was sort of feeling like I needed to make a change. And I felt like the best way to do that would be to launch my own magazine where I could be sort of the creative director and be able to push my work forward in with a, my own natural direction versus working to other people's briefs and whatnot, which is, is generally speaking, the way it works for photographers is you're often commissioned to do jobs for other people, right? And I kind of got to the stage where I was just like, I want to be able to run my own show. And I launched a magazine, which started out initially as an online publication called XXX Magazine, 4Xs, XXXX. And that's sort of a placeholder for Untitled. You know, it was like the X's as in like, we don't know yet what it's going to be called. And basically, it was sort of like XXXX Magazine, the Untitled Magazine. And we created 20 to 30 original short movies for each issue, which was presented online in exhibits and screenings. And we ended up exhibiting, it was super inspirational. You know, when I launched the magazine i had so many people reach out to me that wanted to collaborate on it and photographers directors artists we worked with like the gagosian with like video artists we worked with you know people from the fashion and from the cinema realm and we screened the films at Cannes film festival and art basel miami we had a two-year daily screening at the big screen plaza which is like a video gigatron screen in chelsea and we even had a screening at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which was really incredible. So overall, that was such an incredible experience, right? Launching this magazine that really was, you know, what brought me from the progression of working as a photographer to focusing on my artwork and even opening a gallery. Because all of that sort of happened from the back of all of the success of the Untitled magazine. I We were offered a global print 
print distribution deal to have the print magazine distributed. It's kind of like a snowball effect of like one thing happened after the other. In 2015, I presented an, an issue called the Girl Power Issue, which was an all-female inspired issue only featuring female photographers, writers, and talent. It was the first one of its kind. People actually said to me that they thought I was crazy, that I, how am I possibly <laughs> ever going to find enough female yes. photographers? When I launched that Girl Power issue, and this was like obviously well before the Me Too movement, before all of that, you know, so people were really, when I started working on the production of that, I mean, people, the word female gaze was not a coined term yet, pretty much in like the common, I mean, it, it's an older term, but it wasn't commonly used, right? And that was sort of like the first issue where we started pushing the whole female gaze thing. I curated an exhibit that launched in celebration of the issue called the F word feminism and art in support of that issue. And that was the first exhibit I curated at the Untitled Space of all female artists. And that basically propelled me to then open the gallery because that exhibit got such an incredible response. I was so inspired by all the artists and artwork that I had that we put together for the show. I actually co-curated that with another curator. It was just such an incredible experience. I was inspired to open the gallery and focus on female artists after doing that. You know, you can see it all comes together and we're actually at the moment working on our first ever open call issue for the magazine, which is going to launch this summer. The magazine has always been very curated um, with everything, you know, very planned. With the pandemic, I've had to really think outside the box, like how do I create a new issue when people can't really easily shoot? I can't just call a photographer in LA and say, hey, can you shoot X, Y, or Z? Or I can't just produce the way we normally would. Basically, I've decided instead of trying to produce the issue, I'm going to do it all by open call and let artists submit existing work. It's going to be a whole issue inspired on contemporary art, focusing on emerging artists. We're going to have an exhibit that sort of kicks off that issue, which, which will be our second exhibit in collaboration with the magazine. Like really, I guess we did one actually with Superfine where we hosted a magazine cocktail with you guys. But normally we I've kept the magazine <laughs> a little bit separate. So since our 2015 F-Word Feminism and Art Exhibit, I haven't done another one in collaboration with the magazine at the gallery. And my plan is this summer to do our art issue, which, like I said, will be an all open call issue. And we're going to kick it off with a group show in support of the issue, which I, this is going to be really fun. So I'm super excited to work on this. I felt like the time was right to just bring it all back together and have the magazine be more a part of, for a long time, I kept it very separate in the magazine and the gallery. And I just feel like now is the time to just bring it all together and kind of make it all work together. We're at that stage where the pandemic has forced us to figure out how we can make things work and whatever we need to do to make that happen. You know, you have to kind of be thinking about outside the box of like, how can you bring things together in order to make them stronger? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's incredible. And, you know, we were talking before about how your art practice, it's, you know, takes place in photography, neon, printmaking, sculpture, all of the above. And this is actually a topic that uh, came up with the last podcast guest that I interviewed with. They're also an artist and curator. You know, really the your curation itself and the magazine and the the gallery, those are all 
in ways there there are other media that you are using to communicate what you care about with the world. So it's almost like another form of art in a way, the magazine itself. (laughs) And for anyone who is interested in applying for the open call for the magazine, is there a link where they can submit? So we haven't actually launched the open call yet. My plan is to launch it probably uh, by the end of February you know, right now I'm just still getting together, like, because this will be our first magazine open call. I'm just getting together, like, all the materials and sort of trying to figure out how the open call will run. As you must know, with doing even your open calls for applying to Superfine and whatnot, like, there's definitely a process and a lot of, like, assets you need to put together and a strategy with, like, you know, what are you looking for and what do people have to submit? And I, I prefer for that material to be very precise so that we can make sure to have like everything we need in order to properly curate it. So the plan is to really get that open call open by the end of February and to have the issue launch, like I said, over the summer, it will probably be, I'm like looking at probably like mid-summer, like an end of July type of launch. I like that idea. I think this summer is going to be a big one because last summer with the pandemic, everything was shut. And I do think by this summer, things will open up again with the vaccines, et cetera. And I think that people are going to really want to be out and about experiencing life more than ever. People are going to appreciate everything (laughs) they can do, going to galleries and events again and all that great stuff. So I think it's going to be a very active summer for everybody in the uh, art world. And we're planning like a very busy schedule of exhibits and plans. And and this issue launch is going to be a really big one. I cannot wait. Uh, I'm very much with you there. I, I just want to go out and, you know, meet new people at gallery shows, have super fine uh, again. In the meantime, uh, we'll, we'll give a, a link and an Instagram handle that people can follow you on. And keep an eye out for that open call. Yes, we will definitely announce on our social media when the open call is open. Very cool. Well, Indira, we are getting to the end of the show. I wanted to wrap it up with one more top word of advice. We always love to do this just to end the the show. What's one more word of advice that you'd have for an artist out there who's listening in and is making art their business? You know, I think it's so important to believe in yourself, you know, because I, I have a lot of artists who can't, you know, reach out to me and confined, like, confined to me that like, you know, oh, they get upset with comments that people make on Instagram that they don't like their work. And I'm like, look, just do not worry what other people think about you or your artwork. In fact, I think if everyone likes your work, then it probably isn't very good. You really need to not be afraid. And if your work is just a people pleaser type of thing, chances are you're not really, the passion isn't there. You're not trying to be different. You're not really pushing yourself to make a statement. So strong artwork often can be very specific. Not everybody's going to love it. Don't be afraid to be different. It's better to find your own style and voice than try to emulate others. And I think it's just really important to keep pushing yourself. You know, it doesn't matter if you feel like people aren't responding to your work. You just have to keep going because, you know, you have to remember it. Sometimes it takes artists decades, literally, to get established. And 
part of being an artist is knowing that, you know what, people might not even get your work while you're living. You just have to be okay with that. You have to do it for you. I think that's incredible. So artists out there, just to recap, make art that not everyone likes, but art that a group of people will really love, but also just make sure to start with making art for yourself that you love and you feel strongly about. And then all of the pieces will come into place from there. Um, Thank you so much, Indira. (laughs) And to all of you business artists out there, Indira has been here sharing such valuable advice today. You're going to want to go back and listen to our show notes, take notes if you'd like, if you didn't already. I hope at least some of you out there take notes while listening to the podcast. Um, If you do want to connect with Indira and her wonderful art, you should definitely give her a shout. Uh, You can follow her at at Indira Cesarine on Instagram or visit IndiraCesarine.com to find more ways to connect with Indira and her own art. In terms of the magazine submission for Untitled Magazine, you can follow at The Untitled Magazine on Instagram or go to untitled-magazine.com. Again, Indira will be releasing the uh, open call submissions for that around the end of February. So keep an eye out for that. As always, remember that we are at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. And if you want to give us a quick hello or learn about how to apply for an exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the United States, just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That is artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. And if you have a spare minute, we would love for you to write a review about the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen in to the Artist Business Plan. And then lastly, as always, I'd like to end the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. That quote is from Jane Fonda. Feminism is not just about women. It's about letting all people lead fuller lives. I think that is so poignant and so true. Indira, it has been such a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, James. I mean, honestly, great talk. I loved it. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I did too. Um, and everyone have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.